Hey, it's Greg. This is the Square Pizza Pod, cooked up by Shermco. Thank you for coming back to another episode of the Square Pizza Podcast. Let's do some context. So this is the first episode of 2023. Um, as hopefully... Everybody knows who's listening. The Square Pizza Podcast hosts and features and interviews uh, leaders of color doing incredible work across the country focused on education and the social impact space. Um, today is our second episode with our kind of second set of special guests, if you will. So in December, uh, hopefully most of you already listened to this uh, um, episode, but we had Taylor James and Matthew Gibson join two of our team members. What's up, Matthew? As he's walking by. Um, and it was incredibly well received. It was the most downloaded and listened to podcast episode of the square pizza pod, uh, in our history over the past two and a half years, almost three years now. And Matthew and Taylor joined to talk about their first 90 days at Shermco, as well as who they are, what makes them special, what brings us to uh, their work. Uh, and so we thought it'd be only fair to have Gia and Alex, of course, uh, join now to do the same thing about what makes them special and brings them to this work, but also it's right around their one year anniversary. And so this podcast will be, um, hopefully a little bit of a comparison from two teammates in the first 90 days, um, to now two of our teammates are celebrating the one year anniversary with our team. All right, we're recording. Welcome to the square pizza pod, Gialin Bothy and Alex Abish. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Hello. Hello. How are you guys feeling? Nervous. <laughs> Nervous. I'm going to work on my radio voice. To our listening community, thank you for joining. Our, our friends here are a little nervous. We're going to take it easy on them. Uh, Alex, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm good this morning. Thanks for joining. So, uh, you know, we want to get into and, you know, make sure that people know a lot about you, um, right? But I think you are an artist. You, it's core to maybe who you are, what you do each day. You have a background in art therapy, I believe. Um, and perhaps a few other things um, in the art, a few other like aspects of the art world that you're connected to. So maybe just tell the people like who you are and why art is so important to you. Sure. Love talking about art. Um, I always had, I was drawn to art uh, since I was young. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, so it's something that's always been part of my life. Um, I, I'm a painter, so I do have an agent that sells my work for me here in Charlotte. Uh, yeah, side hustle. Um, and then I also have a blog that really talks about the connection between art and fashion. And so sometimes I like to create art, uh, I would say art pieces, but they're also fashion pieces. Um, you might see me like up in Uptown Charlotte with like a shirt made out of cardboard. And uh, it's, I, it's just for a picture. I don't actually like go to meetings. The cardboard shirt? Yeah, I don't go to meetings with like cardboard shirts on. So, but uh, Have you worn it to work before? No. Okay. No, we would know. Got it. Yeah. But uh, I like coming up with concepts like mm -hmm. that and then having them photographed. And then I usually get a, a reaction from people around me and it kind of creates joy, mm. I feel. Um, and so, yeah, so I have the blog and um, I also um, went into art therapy right out of college. Um, I think I really innately understood the therapeutic qualities of art, but I also worked with adults with disabilities and I could see how uh, art really helped them express, helped them with their confidence levels, helped them with their fine motor control. So that's, I was like, you know, I really feel like there's something here. 
I also, you know, at that age when you're young, you know, like three things about the world, right? So I only knew I, I liked art. I like psychology. I'm just going to stick with that. It's perfect. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up working, uh, I've worked in a couple inpatient centers, uh, mental health facilities. So I really got to work as an art therapist, helping individuals with uh, bipolar disorder, uh, schizophrenia, a lot of co-occurring disorders. And what I found is when you see people at their lowest low, the arts are really one of the few things that actually can perk your soul and remind you that life is worth living. Mm. Uh, and so that's something that I um, have always uh, kept with me, even you know I don't practice right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's why art therapy continues to be really important to me. Yeah, so maybe for like the skeptic or the non-artist out there, can you talk more about how, in your personal experience, you've seen art therapy support some of the people you've worked with? Sure, yeah. Um, So I remember I was working on Unit 6 South in Mm -hmm. uh, George Washington University Hospital. So this is in like the heart of D.C. So we saw all types of ethnicities, uh, all types of age groups, uh, we have college students in there from wealthy backgrounds. We have educated politicians. We have individuals who are homeless, a mixed bag. Um, so they asked me to see if I could go down to the trauma unit because an individual had just gone through a tragic accident and lost his sight. And he wouldn't eat. He wouldn't take his medicine. And so they needed help. And so I went down there and I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? You know? <laughs> But I, I walked in, and um, a lot of the art things I tried weren't really he wasn't interested in. So we just ended up sitting there and listening to music. And I think mm-hmm. it was uh, Michael Jackson that finally got him to kind of sit up and, and be present because he was kind of shutting the world out. Mm. Um, so in that way, um, I would include music as an art form there. Um, but also in my work with you know, adults with disabilities here in Charlotte, I moved on to um, manage an art center for adults with disabilities. It really helped them to form an identity as an artist through their art making. So if you think about it, you see an individual with a disability, you don't really think, I wonder what their goals are in life. Mm. I wonder what their identity is. What's their personality like? We typically don't think about that, but they have all of those things. And so through their art, they're able to express who they are. So you can look at a painting and say, oh, that's Danny's work. That's Sean's work because mm. it represents their personality. Um, we also had an a individual with a disability who had tremors, and she really didn't like the fact that her hand was always tremoring. Uh, so I was like, well, why don't we just do a splatter painting? Your hand naturally does what you need to do when you're creating splatter paint. So she did a, a painting where she just let her hand trimmer and paint went everywhere, hmm. and that became her personal style. So in that way, this doesn't become a disability anymore. It's part of her. It's part of her identity, and it's she's able to accept that. Uh, so that's, I guess, that maybe yeah. is an example for you. Yeah, it's awesome. I guess, ideal art therapy right there. Well, that's powerful. And I know, you know, the formal um, background in art and art therapy with your master's, and then obviously the practical work. um, But I think maybe even before that you have, or maybe your family has experience in hospitality, um, which I'd imagine has some sort of overlap. So curious if you can share more about that personal story in the hospitality world with you. Yeah, sure. So I spent like the first couple years of my life living on resorts in Puerto Rico. 
True story. Mm. <laughs> tough, tough yeah. life. I know. I was just, uh. And you spoke <laughs> Spanish too, right? I did, yes. Um, did or do? Did. Did. Because when I moved to the States, I didn't have any uh, Spanish-speaking friends. Sure. And so there went that. There went that. <laughs> <laughs> It'll come back. Yeah. But yeah, so my, my dad was in hospitality managed resorts. So when I was two weeks old, we moved to Puerto Rico and my sister and I grew up on the ocean and we were all around customer service and the art of customer service and the art of presentation. And I'm pretty sure I knew like what smoked salmon was before chicken fingers. I don't even <laughs> think I ever like ate off of a kid's menu, to be honest. Yeah, but, some um, benefits to that probably. Yeah. Um, but I ended up working as I got older. I worked in these hotels um, that I had once lived in. And uh, I think you start to feel like this is my home. I, all these guests who come here, all these guests that come to uh, the hotel, I want them to feel at home. I want mm. them to feel like they are my personal guest. And that's a good feeling when you can serve a client well. Mm -hmm. And so I'll, I think it definitely translates to any work that you do, providing good customer service. Um, and so it's just an environment I was always around. Um, and I think it taught me a lot of humility mm. um, because you know, being around these individuals when I was younger, uh, they would come in and, and serve us meals. And a lot of them would be very nervous because my dad was a hothead and you either loved him or you hated him. He would fire you on the spot, no problem. So people would be very, very nervous to serve us. And I remember just feeling so empathetic for these people because mm. I was like, it's just us. Like, we're not the king and queen. I feel so bad for them, you know. And um, so as I grew older, some of those individuals still worked at, in the hotel. And so I got to work alongside a lot of the individuals who served me when I was like five years old. Uh, so that was, it's really kind of cool to get to know them, know where they're from, what their history is. Um, the hotel, the hotel industry in general is very interesting because you have all different types of ethnicities working together, uh, and so it teaches you a lot about uh, humanity in general and um, being open-minded and inclusive. Is there any one key like practice or point in the hospitality world, or maybe now that you do or that you've seen work that um, would always kind of make somebody feel? kind of safe and appreciated, whether it was a customer or, um, you know, wait staff at a restaurant or something like that? Um, you know, I think it's just remembering if a, a guest mentions something that you have and you can provide and maybe they didn't ask for it, hmm. but you happen to know that they, that we have the capability to provide it. Uh, I think that's always a wow factor. It's almost like they're like, oh, wow, they, they read my mind. Mm -hmm. They might even forget that they articulated it out loud, like, man, I really wish I had this, or I forgot my toothbrush at home. Or, you know, if you if you pick up on stuff like that yep. and you deliver it, they're like, wow, you're we're on the same team. You're on mm -hmm. my side. You're here to help me. Um, so, And my sister actually worked alongside me. We were both... Uh, we. We both did uh, pretty much every role you can imagine in uh, a hotel, like room service, waitressing, uh, uh, housekeeping, all that stuff. That probably helps with your empathy building and ability as well, right? To be able to take on those roles and understand what the rest of the team members were going through. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
yeah, it was, uh, I remember once we had a guest who uh, we found um, in the lower level of the hotel in Charlotte that we were working at, and she uh, she needed some food because she was about to pass out. Um, and so my sister and I went to the kitchen, and the kitchen was closed, but we, like, made her a sandwich mm. and brought it down, and they thought that was, like, the best thing ever. And then my sister and I got, like, uh, they have a point system uh, in, in the hotel of, you know, basically who, who's able to wow the customer the best. So we got, we won that month because of that. Yeah. That's great. Um, so G and I and the rest of the team have been able to see those skills in action, both around art and art therapy and that background as as well as kind of hospitality and customer service, um, in our day-to-day work. And you currently serve as the director of strategic implementation at Shermco. Is that correct? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> it's good we all know that um <laughs> as so far ta- as, yeah. as far as we know yeah um tell the people what that means right that's a semi-fancy title tell the people maybe like day-to-day what that looks like and what um you've been doing over the past year um helping Shermco, but helping the clients and the communities we serve sure so like day-to-day in the role sure um so it can look different uh it involves a lot of engaging of stakeholders uh, so asking their input on behalf of uh, our clients uh, to basically test ideas and direction that we see might be best for our clients. It might be us uh, doing some research for a market analysis to get to know what's what's our the competition in the area for our clients. What do we need to know before we're lifting up ideas? Has this already been replicated? Has it not been? Uh, is there a niche for them? So it can involve research It usually involves at least three stakeholder conversations for the day. Uh, We can be meeting with a client and uh, help with onboarding of their new VP of education. Um, That usually, uh, that's something we're working on right now. Uh, So it's kind of a mixed bag of things. A lot of uh, FaceTime with clients, but then a lot of back of the house research and writing. Mm -hmm. Can you tell the listening audience more around the sort of clients we're working with? Sure, yeah. We work with clients who um, typically have um, a social cause centered around education, workforce development. We've worked with the city of Charlotte on some really awesome workforce development projects, Um, Goodwill, Urban League. uh, Am I allowed to name them? Sure. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We'll keep this part in. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, not just Charlotte, all over the U.S. Yeah. Uh, which is really exciting. Yep. Um, first, honestly, first experience for me working outside of uh, the nearby states yeah. that I live in. Uh, Any so. um, like moments or surprises, given what you just shared around like first time working with a, maybe a non-local client in a professional role? It's a lot easier than I thought mm. as far as it. Uh, I thought with a client living, say, in California or Tennessee, we might have some differences that might prohibit us from doing the work, but that was hasn't been the case mm-hmm. at all. It actually feels like they live down the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think as long as we're mindful of their area and we take that into account in our uh, stakeholder investigation and research, uh, I think uh, doesn't really make a difference. Um, so we've worked with uh, United Ways, um, foundations, mm-hmm. I think I'm getting them all right. Yeah, doing a great job. Yeah, <laughs> interfacing with some corporations, oh. schools, districts, 
Uh, thank you. Yeah. Let's bring in Ms. Gia Lynn Bothy. Hi, I'm here. Hey, Gia. How are you? I'm good. Um, Gia runs our family empowerment work. She's our director of family empowerment, but has history both uh, with Shermco and also has um, her own really intriguing and uh, interesting background as well. Um, so Gia, maybe start from the beginning, tell people who you are, what brings you to this work, um, and maybe just 30 seconds about uh, the early years of Gia Lin. Um, sure. So Gia was born in a farming village in China. Um, when I immigrated to the U.S., I was nine years old. I came here on September 11th, 2003, mm. and I did not know the alphabet. English was the fourth language I learned. Mm. So I grew up speaking a village language, and then I learned Cantonese when I went to like Guangzhou or Guangdong, like the province, and then learned Mandarin because that's what they teach you in China in sc- or like in schools in China. And then really had to like, oh, you know, this is the alphabet. We've got 26 letters. But no, you also have capital letters and lowercase letters and had to like really navigate that. Which you don't have in the other three languages that you learned? Not exactly because like in, so Chinese is like the written language, but the spoken languages are like the different dialects, right? Mm. And it's more of like a pictogram or a pictogram. But then yet we use pinyin to kind of like understand how you say a word. Mm. Um, so I didn't know about capitals and lowercase and like, why do you need to capitalize like a pronoun and whatnot? So I had to learn English. Um, and then whenever, you know, I used to be a teacher and whenever kids point out my grammar mistakes and I, I would say to them, well, English is my fourth language. I have an excuse. Did that work for the kids? Yeah. Okay. They were like, oh, what else do you speak? Did you learn that like later on? I'm like, no, English is my fourth language. Yeah. So it had to like, it became like an interesting story mm-hmm. of like building these relationships with kids. And then some kids would like share like, oh, my family, my parents speak this language and like, I don't want to learn it or like, I don't want to keep it. And I'm like, you really should because that's what the culture is about. Hmm. And what do you want people to know about your immigrant experience? I don't know. I think like as it, it relates to like the family empowerment work in a way, I'm like, I want to build on these things that if I got to time travel to my youth, I had these things in my hands mm. or I had these things in my ba- like in the back pocket. And as an immigrant, it was like very difficult in a way because I was my parents' parents, even though they were controlling me, but I was telling them what was going on. Mm. I had to translate everything that was coming home. Mm. I had to go to parent-teacher conferences. Oftentimes I lied about like how well I was doing at school. Fibbed yeah. a little. Hopefully that's not <laughs> continuing now. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I. my parents don't exactly know what I do because I, I don't know how to explain to them what I do for a living. Okay. And in a way, it's like I don't re- really want to tell them because it like ruins their dream about like the American dream that everything's so perfect mm. that you have these things. But like you really don't. And there are communities that don't have these things. And even the community that they live in currently, like. They don't speak a word of English, and they're okay. They live by. Well, perhaps is the American dream, or how is the American dream perceived from, like, your family perspective or immigrant perspective that maybe people born in America wouldn't um, necessarily, like, understand or have the same viewpoint as? Yeah, so um, I guess, like, the Cantonese story is that when you move to America, the saying is that you are going to the 
Old Golden Mountain, mm. and the Old Golden Mountain is San Francisco, because that's where gold was found, and that's what they call it. And it's really like you're going to find gold. You're going to find something that's like you're gonna build wealth for generations. And they don't talk about like the backbreaking work that goes into it. People come to this country with like nothing,、mm. and you're lucky that you have relatives who are like, yeah, you can. You know, a family of three can stay in our living room and share that, and then pay rent back later on. That's like very empathetic of them to do that, and then you kind of just like survive on your own. You know, like find a job. You don't know English, you don't have transportation, and all these things. Like as I do family empowerment work, I think about, I think about these access issues. Yeah, that's really powerful. Thank you for sharing. Um, and I know too. Before we go deeper into the family empowerment work and even pre-education, maybe not a lot of people know you have a little bit of background in architecture. Can you share more about that? I did.、Um, so, my undergrad, I have a bachelor degree, a bachelor of architecture degree,、mm -hmm. um, and that's because I felt like K to twelve, I was always memorizing answers.、Mm. And for college, I wanted to do something different. I couldn't do art and. Like I wasn't lucky enough to do that because my parents were like, "You're not going to make a living out of art. <laughs> we're not going to help you." Still didn't really help me with. No offense to any artists in the room. <laughs> yeah, <who are laughs> yeah. it's just like sad. Yeah, partly true, unfortunately.、But. Yeah. So I I studied architecture.、Um, kind of learned how to think, learned how to work in teams.、Hmm. Um, just learned that you don't just have one solution. Just like life, there are different ways to do stuff. So learn. More about critical thinking in architecture, and then right out of architecture school, I work for like a design build construction company, and we specialize in Domino's pizzas. So like I help with the rebuilding of like almost two hundred, three hundred Domino's stores throughout Southern California. So you were doing the helping, working on a team, helping with the design of two hundred Domino's stores in Southern California. Not really the design, but more like the. Domino's was going through like a rebranding phase、okay. in their like franchise at the time, and so it's like re-ramping these O shops into like with a new branding,、mm. and so just cookie cutter do this like this is where how your kitchen is gonna work, this is how your front lobby is gonna look, and then getting those permits from different cities and making it happen, and then the construction team would like do all the stuff, and then we go through like. The processes of like evaluation or、mm. like you know different、um, members from the city would come and like sign off on it with like inspection and then like oh okay now it's a new grand or the re grand opening because it's not a grand opening because the store has been there so did a lot of that. Any lessons you took away from architecture that you carried with you into education?、Um, I really like the critical thinking aspect, and that's the reason why I didn't like. Working at the construction company,、um, doing Domino's stores because it was like the same thing over and over.、Mm. Now I really think about what can be different. How can I make it different? Everyone is different, right? Every school that we work with, every client we work with, every person we talk to, they're all different. So knowing that like one way is not going to work,、um, knowing that there are so many different ways to do something, how do you do it well?、Um, how just like thinking about all these things. Then you went from architecture and working on design or reopenings of Domino's 
in Southern California to teach for America in education. I did. I did do that. And I tell us about that experience. I teach for America comes up a lot on the square pizza pod. Good and bad. So tell us, tell us more. I only had great experiences with teach for America, at least for Charlotte. So there's that. Um, I was like, you know, I'm getting tired of architecture, um, specifically with just like rebuilding domino stores. And I was like, I need to do something different. School, like architecture school taught me how to think. Mm. Let me teach kids how to think. Mm. So that was like my thinking going into this. And I apply TFA, fifth deadline. That was like the last deadline. I literally found out about TFA that week that the last, and then that week like the applications were due. So I just like submitted my application, probably spent like five hours on my application. Um, And I was like, oh, you know, you got in. Or, well, here, here, do the interview. And after the interview, we had to, like, select our locations. Mm-hmm. And you were not able to select anywhere from California because mm. it was too late in the deadline. Or, like, there's not enough time for you to do all these requirements um, to teach in California. So I was like, oh, great. I get to move away from my parents? Oh, my gosh. This is, like, a dream come true for me. Um, and I remember ranking like my top five choices. I had Charlotte was my first choice. Um, well, Charlotte wasn't my first choice. Charlotte was one of the top five. Um, and there were a couple others for like my top five choices. Any reason why Charlotte made the top five list coming from California? Yeah. So I had a spreadsheet of like (laughs) in ranking or scoring every location based on cost of living. Mm. Do I need to get a master's to teach in that state? Um, how's the weather like? How's traffic like? Love that know. detail. Love that detail. It's great. Yeah. Good. And you made it to Charlotte. Yeah, I did. Say more about your TFA experience while you're here. Um, that's maybe one takeaway you had from teaching. Kids are really fun mm. to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also remember caring more about like the kids' family lives mm. too. Um, I remember my first year teaching and I was like, oh my gosh, this is rough. Like just knowing that I went to Title I schools as a kid and then teaching at the Title I school was very different. Um, I thought I knew all about Title I schools because I came from them. But then when I taught in one, it was very different. Um, And for, so I remember it was like April or May. I was like, what do I want to do this summer? And you don't get a lot of money out of a teacher salary. So I was like browsing Instagram and TFA Charlotte was like talking about Shermco. And I was like, what is this? Like, let me look at this. And then I looked through every single thing about Shermco, like read through all the blog posts, um, listened to all of Greg's podcasts that he's been on on like other podcasts. Um, just like did a lot of stalking in a way. And then research. Professional yeah. research. Yeah. And I was like, huh, okay. I applied for the fellowship and then did the fellowship. But I remember it was like the summer special project fellowship. So I kind of got to do a little bit of everything and a lot of nothing. Like I, I think I built, well, I started to build the project map. That's right. Still involved. on the website today. You were the, one of the first creators of the project map. Yeah. And then I remember like hey, for our social media strategy, we should really be using LinkedIn more. I remember doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like a suggestion. I remember sitting in a couple of like school meetings over the summer 
to help like schools plan for their next year and whatnot. Um, I remember remember we were helping a board with their like board member development. Mm-hmm. So we did some of that, and I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much stuff that goes on outside of like the school and outside the classroom. And I was like intrigued. Mm-hmm. And I remember after my fellowship, like. Maybe every six months, I would bother Greg, like, hey, what's going on at Sherm Co? That and also, like, shout out to Lori. Every single time I had a birthday or something. Shout out to Lori. She was like, Chia, here's a car. Happy birthday. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you remember. You took the customer service from Alex to make sure that we stayed in touch with people. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he had to zoom out. So this was 2018, 2019 for mm-hmm. those listening. Gia joined as a, a fellow, right? So maybe what's one thing... Um, you've seen change or that's been different from 2018 five years ago at Shermco to now because you, you have unique perspective that not many people have yeah we've grown a lot um I think well I know Greg worked out of Huga, but it was the one on Hill Street or Westmere mm-hmm. and it was I felt like it was just a team of Greg and Lori and you well for, for that summer but that was that was it and then I see the team growing and now we have six full-time team members. That's right. Sure do. Yeah. And a number of contractors and wonderful team members like uh, Gurlia, who's here in the studio with us, crushing the video and social media game. Behind the um, scenes. That's right. That's great. Thank you. Uh, let's go back to Alex. And so, Alex, two-part question here. First one, um, as we're like, we're bringing up to speed with Shermco. What made you interested in joining our team and doing our doing work with us? Well, I remember researching Shermco, and I could tell that the culture was good, meaning that they really valued what their employees um, had to offer as far as their previous experience, and um, were really supportive. I could tell it was a really supportive environment, and that was important to me. Um, But I could also tell, and and know more now, just from having been with Shermco for years, we're really uh, involved in results and outcomes. So more to do, more to come, right? Uh, so I, that, I'm all about that. I'm more of a doer than anything. And so, you know, talking is great, but if we can actually go out there and, and produce some outcomes, that's even better. And so I could tell Shermco was about that. And that's really what I've seen over the past years is we've had a, a huge impact, um, not only with our individual clients' missions, but I would say on our local community as well. Yeah, curious. Appreciate you sharing. Um, what about research made you think our organization was a fun and safe place to work from the outside looking in? From the outside? Yeah. The employee highlights, mm. acknowledge, acknowledging them um, for their birthday. I could tell yeah, that Shermco sent like care packages out saying happy birthday. Also for the anniversary, like all that stuff is on LinkedIn. You mm-hmm. can see that. Uh a lot of these staff members contributed to blog posts. Mm-hmm. So I read like the Shermco blog, also listened to the podcast. I could tell that in itself, just a company having a podcast really speaks to innovation. So like, okay, this, this company, they, they like their employees. They want to hear from their employees and blog posts. And then and we're also seeing that they have some innovation going on with the podcast. So all of those things like sparked my interest cool and what's uh, maybe one additional kind of reflection you've had now that you've been here 12 months um supporting so many clients locally and across the country um working so well with all of our other 
um, amazing teammates. Um, what reflections do you have 12 months in? Well, one of the things I think that surprised me about the work is how much over the past year we've actually almost become an extension of our clients hmm. uh, as far as an extension of their team. So we know their organization just as well as they do, if not better, than some of their staff members. So I'm sure, I feel very confident that if one of our organizations had a VP of education that suddenly quit, they could call us at the mm. drop of a hat and say, can you fill in? And we wouldn't miss a beat cool. just because they were that connected uh, with the implementation side of things as far as um, not only producing ideas, but actually working alongside them to implement those ideas. And so that means we're interfacing with the client a lot and their customers and just really getting to know the culture and nuances of their organization. I think that's really unique for a consulting firm, and that's something that I think really surprised me over the past year. That's great. And Jay, we, I want to give you make sure you have time to talk about the actual family empowerment works. Can you share maybe a minute or two about what you're doing day to day and what the family empowerment looks work looks like at Shermco? Yeah, so we work with schools and family-focused pr- programs across the How country. How many schools are you working with right now? 16 schools. 16 schools. schools. 14 in Charlotte, 14 one in Charlotte. Durham, and one in Hawaii. There you go. That's awesome. Um, so we collect pre-survey data from families at these schools to see, like, hey, family, what do you want from the school? What do you need? What do your students need? When are the best times to host events at the school? What's the best way to communicate with you? All these questions, right? And then what we're in right now is like, I guess I would call it the implementation stage, Mm -hmm. um, doing these events, these data-driven family-focused events with schools. Um, We're planning them with the school in like a family empowerment committee meeting. We'll be planning these and families are part of the family empowerment committee. So we're, we're able to listen more to their opinions and their ideas and help them implement some of these ideas and collecting more exit tickets at these at these events and then trying to improve. Um, and then at the end of the year, we do a post-survey. So the metrics that we measure in the pre-survey and post-survey are like engagement and empowerment metrics. So trying to see these metrics grow, not trying, they do grow. They do. Um, and it's, it's good for everybody, hopefully. And so zooming out a little bit, right, you've been in the Shermco world for five years or so, but you've getting ready to hit your official one-year mark full-time at Shermco. So similar to Alex, wondering if you have one or two reflections um, from your past 12 months as a full-time team member you want to share with the community. I think this row is really interesting. And just working at Shermco, you're learning every day. Sometimes, like, as a kid and even as an adult, like, or as a kid, you ask kids, what do you want to do when you grow up? As if, like, grow up is, like, the end of life or, like, the end stage. But I feel like every day I'm growing because every day I'm learning. Like, I'm learning alongside schools how to do their work better. I'm learning at events. Like, we would have financial literacy workshops, and I'm learning, and I'm trying to be better at my own financial game, right? Um, Also learning as a new manager. So just learning all the time, and I really appreciate, like, Greg coaching me and Alex coaching me. That's awesome. Alex, let's do some semi-fun rapid-fire questions. Okay. <laughs> what musical what musical artist are you listening to right now? Eddie Zuko. He's really great. Say more about Eddie. Gia, do you so, know who Eddie is? 
I don't. I don't listen to music. Okay. He's from California. Okay. He's w- what I think people refer to as Chicano, so okay. Mexican American. Uh-huh. His music is a combination of reggaeton, reggae, a little bit of Spanish rap and English, all mixed into one. Hmm. So you feel kind of like you're on vacation, but you might want to go to the club later. You know that kind of vibe. Uh, but but he throws some English in there, so you feel like you know you're okay. I know what's going on. Okay, that's great. What's yeah. um, what's reggaeton? It's uh like a Latin kind of Latin rap, but not really rap. It mm. has like it's, I would say it's Latin music mixed with reggae, mixed with a little rap. It's something like, to check out. Yeah, There's some homework. Yeah, so it's not like you know you have your former uh, formal salsa. You know what salsa music is, mm-hmm. right? So it's like taking that, but making it a little bit hipper for like the younger kids. So like more pop. Yeah, like Daddy Yankee. No. <laughs> Gia doesn't have very many growth areas, but one um, might be musical depth. Yep, and uh, sports. And sports there. But, you know, you, you attended your first softball game. I uh, did. Last year with Julia. the world famous GP. Um Gia, if you feel comfortable knowing it's a growth area for you, what musical artists are you listening to right now? Um, there's a couple. Oh, so great. Good. Progress. Yeah. <laughs> Peter, Paul, and Mary. Mm. One of them. Like, it's very uplifting, in my opinion. Um, I listen to this band called Isis. Okay. ISIS. Okay. When I'm about to fall asleep. Mm. Like, it's that, it's a lot of, like, instrumental music, but I think it's more of, like, a metal, like, rock band. Metal rock helps you sleep at night? It does. Wild. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That says a lot about you. Yeah. And I also listen to Canto Pop. Um, I really like Leslie Chang. Tell the people what Canto Pop is. So it's like Cantonese pop music. Mm. Um, it's like, I think that's what my mom used to play on the radio as a kid. Mm. Um, and it just reminds me a lot about my childhood. And Leslie, like we call him Gogol, which means like older brother. He's long dead, but... Like, I really appreciate him. I think about some of the things that he does and, like, what he stands for. Mm. That's a musical artist. A yeah. Cantonese musical, yeah. kind of pop musical artist. Mm-hmm. And he's based out of, or he used to be based out of Hong Kong. Mm. And I think he was, like, the first openly gay person back mm. in, like, the 90s. Well, that's great. Back to Alex. Miss Abish, what does Square Pizza remind you of? I don't know if I can be completely honest with this because you know, it doesn't reflect well on me. But Of course you can. It's a safe space in the podcast and the million people that <laughs> listen to it. So when I was in school, uh, I remember looking down at this square pizza that was in front of me. And I looked up at this girl that no one really liked. And I thought, this pizza reminds me of her face. Wow, interesting, yeah. <laughs> but I, was, face. I was not a mean girl, though. I don't know why. I just thought... I just, that was just, that's what square pizza reminds me of. Okay. So. Wondering if maybe you wish to go back in that moment when you were a child. Yeah, that was not a nice thought. Like, well, you know, unfortunately we all have them. Thank you for being honest. Yeah. I don't think you would do that nowadays. No. 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 It was a mean thing to think. I have a question about that. Okay. Was that like her favorite food, square pizza? I don't think so. I think there's just. Oh my gosh, this is going to get worse if I just describe <laughs> we're, we're, this. We're, we're glad that you <laughs> grew out of that, that phase and you're a wonderful person yeah. as, as you are. Gia, what does square pizza remind you of? Um, so I used to teach math mm-hmm. and seventh grade math, and we le- that's when kids learn about pi or 3.14. So I would always use 
a pizza or a pie to demonstrate. So a square pizza th- makes me think about nonconformity. It's hmm. great. Like being different. Okay, y'all, a few final thoughts as we wrap up. Um, Gia, anything you want to share with your teammate Alex after getting to work with her for the past 12 months? She's really fun, and when I grow up, I want to be like Alex. Oh, my gosh. It's like the best thing anyone has ever told me in my life. <laughs> Look at that. Ms. Abish, anything you want to share with uh, Ms. Lynn Bovey? Well, Gia and I actually got to work together uh, when I had first started with Shermco, and that was really fun, probably my highlight of the year. Uh, Gia has just a natural drive to do well and to do well by our clients and she's really really smart and so I feel like I've learned a lot from her over this past year and I hope we get to work together some more because it, I think we made a good team and um, like she said it's fun definitely made a good team uh, Gia any final thoughts for the listening community about your work about who you are as a person or anything else they should know um, probably about the family empowerment work at mm. Shermco. So we're partnering with Innovate Public Schools. Oh yeah, host. say more about that. Yeah, we're hosting the Parent Leader Institute. It will be the first ever in-person East Coast conference um, from PLI, Parent mm-hmm. Leader Institute. And we're trying to sponsor at least 30 parents from or parents or caretakers from our partner schools to attend. It's a conference training to help families build on their advocacy skills and like learn about community organizing so for example like I live on a street and this is a real example I live on a street it's like a cut through street um speed limit is like 30 miles an hour and people fly down it at probably 45 50 miles an hour um there are stop signs people just drive through it so the next step would be like how do you what do you do like where do you go to put on maybe some of these like speed bumps um, so then kids can actually play in their front yard. And to say that again, first, so Shermco, our organization partnering with PLI, Parent Leadership Institute and Innovate Public Schools, I think is the name of the organization as well, um, to host the first ever East Coast Conference um, so families can attend to sharpen their advocacy and organizing skills. Yeah. Pretty cool. I mean, we're all probably biased in the room. Um, but definitely something that I'm excited about and appreciate you putting that together. And then not only putting on, but paying for uh, 30 families, if not more, to attend in the East Coast. Yeah. P- particularly in Charlotte. Yeah. It's exciting. Um, and so when we push this out, we'll make sure we share the registration link or at least the interest form so those listening can register and, and share it as well. Um, Alex, final thoughts about you, the work, anything else you want to share with the community? I mean, just thanks for having me. I think this has been a great experience. I'd like to see who else we can get on the podcast to share about great things going on in our area. Um, but I don't, I don't think I have anything else. Thank you all for the work you do. Thanks for joining the podcast today. But it's been great having you the past 12 months. You helped build the organization. We want to be here without where we are today without you guys. Um, and so appreciate your work and your effort in putting up with me. Um, and then also continuing to build for what um, we'll continue to build together for years to come. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for checking out the Square Pizza Pod, making a few selfish requests. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps spread the word about the podcast and share this with a friend. We appreciate it. Thanks.